Hey guys, my name is Brad. I'm the lead pastor here at New Life Church, and I want to welcome you to our online teachings. One of our core convictions as a church is that everyone is welcome, no one is perfect, and anything is possible. Now, I know that for some of us, coming into a church building might be intimidating, it might be scary, and I get that. But I want you to know that there is always a place for you here at New Life and that you were made for real in-person community. We meet on Sundays in downtown Wayland. You can check out our website for more information on service times. But for now, I hope God speaks powerfully to you through his word. Love you guys. <laughs> Good morning. How's everyone doing this morning? We doing well? Man, it is so good, so exciting to see so many of you. Uh, and man, what, a, what an incredible time of gathering to worship as a family, as a community. If, if we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Brad, and uh, I just love serving in this community. We have so much fun as a church, and uh, we're just really glad that you are here worshiping with us this morning. If you were in the park with us last time, it was June 6th, I believe, we were set up right in the middle of the sun, and if you remember, my iPad died five minutes into my sermon. Well, today we're in the shade, and I have backup notes printed, so not today, Satan. <laughs> uh, but we've been in the series uh, called Summer in the Psalms, and this is actually the second to last week of the series. In two weeks from today, we're going to be starting a brand new series called Raising the Perfect Parent, which if you know anything about parenting, doesn't exist. So I'm going to tell you as a perfect parent how to be a per No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Everybody who knows me for two seconds knows that is not true. Uh, but we're going to talk about parenting as a church and what it means to be godly parents, what it means to come alongside each other in parenting. And so whether you're a parent or maybe you're not a parent, there's going to be stuff in that series for you. It'll be a four-week series, and man, we're really excited about what God's going to do as we talk about that. So as we dig into the sermon this morning, I would love to just begin with prayer, uh, and then we're going to jump in. God, thank you so much for who you are. That as we sang, as we spoke about already, you are present here. You're present whether we're meeting in a building, you're present in a park, you are here with us. God, I pray for people who are here this morning, people who have made the decision to go public and, and get baptized this morning, God. I just, uh, I pray that you will be working powerfully in their hearts, God. And, and maybe there's people here as well who, who weren't planning to get baptized, but you stir something in them this morning and they take that faith step as well to get baptized. God, I pray that you will move so powerfully in us as a church this morning. That because of your word, we walk away from this place looking more like you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. So I've always had this pretty weird obsession with the Titanic, which sounds very strange to say. Uh, but I, uh, I actually had a great-grandfather who was born in England in March of 1912, and his family was supposed to sail over on the Titanic here as they immigrated to the United States. Uh, and so, like about 100% of the world, I watched the movie Titanic. Anybody seen the movie Titanic? <laughs> Some are like very much like, I don't want to admit that. Uh, but there's one scene that's always been super, super striking to me um, as, as I watched that movie. And no, it's not the scene you're thinking of. <laughs> there is one scene that's always been striking to me, and it's the scene right after the ship hits the iceberg, and they realize that sinking is inevitable. 
And I think the, re the reason that that scene has always struck me is because if you look at what's happening on this ship, right, you have this arguably one of the greatest, like, engineering achievements ever created, and the ship is about to sink. But if you look at what's happening in and on the ship, you, you look at the top levels of the ship, and there's still a party going on, isn't there? There's music playing, there's feasting, there's just, there's not panic. It's just everything seems stable, everything seems normal, the ship seems like it's stable. But then when you go into the lower levels of the ship, when it first hits the iceberg, it's not that way at all, is it? It's utter chaos below the surface of that ship. You can see water flooding into the hallways, into the hulls, and the ship is sinking in its utter chaos in the lower decks of the ship. And as I began thinking about that, I, I began thinking, like, how many of our lives look that way? Right? Like, if you, if you look at the top levels, the top deck, maybe things look put together. Maybe your social media makes it look like you have your act together. Maybe you're really good at putting a fake smile on. But if you dig deep and you look at the lower levels of your life, is there chaos down there? Is there flooding in the hallways? You see, I think this is the perfect metaphor for our lives. That so often when we, when we interact with people and we encounter like church nice people, how many of us have ever encountered church nice people, right? We're probably some here, but anyways, <laughs> I, I can be church nice sometimes, it's fine. But church nice people, right? You ask, you ask them how they're doing and, and I'm good. I'm blessed. I'm great. I'm too blessed to be stressed. But then you ask them, how, how are you doing really? Are there battles in your life that you don't talk about? Are there things in the lower decks that maybe just are out of sorts? Things in your soul that God actually wants to speak into. To be completely honest, you probably have battles in the lower decks of your soul that terrify you. And if I'm honest, I do too. Like maybe for you, you genuinely feel alone in this world. You feel like you don't connect with other people very well and, and you don't get invited anywhere and that, that kind of leads to some bitterness in your life. Maybe for you, you feel like a facade, a fake, a phony. And you genuinely don't know who you are. You become the person that people want you to be in any given circumstance. Maybe that's what's happening below the decks for you. Maybe for you, you don't believe a word of this God stuff and you haven't told anyone. You're deeply wrestling with issues of doubt and just crippling, paralyzing fear about faith and you don't want to talk about it with anyone. Maybe you, and I just brought a list here, maybe you blame yourself for your parents' divorce. Maybe you look in the mirror and all you can see is a waste of space. Maybe you were told that you are a failure your whole life and losing your job last month just confirms what you've been told your whole life. You see, I think, I think one of the most terrifying thoughts on the planet for some of us is what if I'm found out? What if the things in the lower decks of my life, the flooding ship is exposed and people find me out for who I truly am, a fraud, an imposter, worthless, 
What if I'm found out? You know, I think there's a problem with this question to begin with. Because this question assumes something that just fundamentally isn't true. It assumes that I am the person in this world who knows myself best. It assumes that there is nobody else in this world, on this planet, who knows me better than I do. Culturally, we have utterly convinced ourselves that we know ourselves better than anybody else. In fact, I would say it's Western heresy to suggest somebody else might know you better than you know yourself. And yet in Psalm 139, which is the psalm we're going to be looking at today, David says something completely different than what so many of us have taught or been taught our whole lives or taught to believe is that you're actually not the person who knows yourself best. There are things about yourself that you do not know. And this is, this is what David says here in Psalm 139. If you have your Bibles or your phones, turn with me there. In verse 1, this is what he says. He says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in, behind, and before, and lay your hand upon me. And so something David recognizes is he says, God, you actually, you know me. You know everything about me. You have searched my heart and you know me intimately. Which is something maybe a lot of us have heard, right? God knows you better than you know yourself. But David takes it even further. In verse 6, he actually goes even more bold with his statement here. This is what he says in verse 6. Thank you, wind. He says, such knowledge of myself is too wonderful for me. It's high. I cannot attain it. And so what David is saying here is he's saying, God, you know everything about me. You know the lower levels. You know the lower decks of my life that are chaos. God, you, you don't just know the facade at the top, but you know everything about me. But then the kicker of what David says here is he says, not only do you know everything about me, but I don't even know everything about me. In fact, there's things about me, God, that you know that are too high for me to know. Knowledge that is too beyond me. I want you to think about this for a moment. How does it make you feel to know you may not know everything about yourself? Is, is that a terrifying thought? Is that a comforting thought? I think maybe it's, it's a mix of both for us. Uh, you know how like on social media, they will like on Facebook watch, they'll suggest certain videos that like are supposed to be tailored to your interests. One of the things that I've known, noticed is that Facebook just doesn't know me very, very well at all. Okay, so I get two types of videos consistently in that kind of watch feed. The first one is these like super deep, intense theological videos which like, I don't agree with at all. I mean, they're these super like in-depth theological videos uh, that don't come from the same denominational persuasion I am from or anything like that. For some reason, these videos constantly are showing up on my Facebook kind of news suggestive feed. But then the other type of video are just random clips from the Dr. Phil show. So like, who does Facebook think I am? I, I don't know. 
but but <laughs> but this is the point. Like there's a God who knows you so much better than you know yourself. Amen. He knows why Dr. Phil videos would show up on your on your Facebook feed. He knows everything about you. And I got to tell you, when you live into this truth, this idea that there is a God who knows more about me than I know about myself, there are some pretty dramatic implications for the way you and I live as a result of that. I mean, it changes things. One that I wrote down just a few here. One of them is if there is a God that knows everything about me and I don't know everything about me, you know what that means? It means I don't ultimately define my own identity. It means that I can't earn my identity through good performance, through associating myself with the right people, through the right image. If there is a God who knows more about me than I know about myself, what that means is that true identity is gifted to you. It is not earned. It's not earned by your performance. It's not earned by how well put together your life is. It's not earned by your morality or your good behavior. True identity from God is gifted. Another implication. Some of those paralyzing insecurities that, that we have, they come from a time in my life that I may not even know about. Which means that exposing some of those dark areas to life, some of those deeper areas could mean some painful healing that God wants to do in my life. Almost like this image of, of re-breaking a bone so that it can heal properly and correctly. There are wounds that you have in your life, things in the lower decks of your life that are flooding that you have never talked about with anybody that you have never brought to light, could it be that the God of the universe who searches you and knows you and knows things about you that you don't know about yourself, could it be that he wants to expose some of those things to bring healing to some of those places? Yeah. And then the last one here, the implications are that that bitterness that I carry like a weight of bricks towards my ex or my father or God himself may have very little to do with them and a lot more to do with me. It may have a lot to do with them, but it, it may also have a lot more to do with me. And so God knows me. That's the first thing that David says here. He knows me. He sees the lower decks. He sees what's under the surface that I don't talk about with anybody else. But then it, he takes it further. Not just does God know me, not just does God kind of observe from a distance what is happening in the lower decks of my life, but he, but he takes this idea even further. And this is what he says. I'm going to have to re-look this up every time I open the Bible. Here we go. In verse 7, he says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I bake my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. And your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me. And the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. Even the night is bright as the day. For darkness is as light with you. So not only does God know you. But he actually goes with you. 
He goes to those places that nobody else sees. Do you realize how profound this is about the creator of the universe? Not only does God know the parts about me that I don't know or may not know about myself, but God was there when those parts of my heart were shaped and formed and molded and trampled on and wounded. God was there. You see, scripture says that the heart is deceitful, that it can actually lead us in the wrong direction. And I wonder if this is the case because some of our hearts have been so wounded and so trampled on that left alone to their own devices, our hearts simply cannot be trusted for themselves. God was there in the ugly parts of your story. He is there in the heavens and he is there in the lower depths, in the lower depths of your life. He was there when you were born. And he was there as you lost your child. He was there when you became a father. And he was there the moment your father walked out on you. He was there when you could feel him and he is there when you doubt his very existence. See, Genesis 3, the moment that Adam and Eve sin and God goes in the garden looking for them, looking for, for where his humanity is, where his people are. He's, he's searching. And the very first question he asks Adam and Eve after they have sinned and messed this whole thing up for all of us, the very first question that he asks them is not, what have you done? It's, where are you? Why are you hiding? Like God's response to sinful humanity is to search us and know us, to seek us out, to pursue us, to long for us, to long for restored relationship. And guys, I got to tell you, some of us are like the passengers on the top deck of the Titanic. Everything looks good on the surface. Everything looks put together. Everything looks stable. We have happy faces on and our families look perfect from the outside. But what we don't realize is that left ignored, we are on an ocean liner that is actively sinking. Like if we don't deal with some of the stuff under the surface, it has the potential to derail us, to sink us into the waters of the North Atlantic while we are forced to listen to Celine Dion playing in the background. <laughs> Friends, you cannot ignore what's below the surface in your life. You, you can't ignore what's in the lower decks of your life because when you do, sinking is inevitable. You can't cover up your feelings of inadequacy with workaholism. It's just a surface level kind of thing. You can't mend your deepest wounds by pretending they don't exist. You cannot wrestle through your deepest doubts about God by simply putting a smile on on a Sunday morning and coming to church. That doesn't cut it. And, he, and here's what I want to say to you guys. Some of you think, well, this isn't a sermon for men. This is a sermon for women. That could be further from the truth. I've had three conversations with three different guys in our church in the last week who have said things like this. Number one, Psalm 139 is my absolute favorite psalm. Like, I need a God who goes into the depths with me. Another one said, I need a group of guys in my life when I'm struggling or I'm hurting or I don't have answers for parenting or for marriage. I need a group of guys in the church that I can go to those lower decks with. I need guys in the church that I can go and be honest with and vulnerable with and pour my heart out. I need that. Amen. And then the last conversation was along the lines of like, if you think about our lives, so many of us have shallow roots all over the place. 
right? Shallow roots at work, maybe shallow roots on social media. We need places where we can go where our roots grow deep. And I got to tell you, church is one of the best things and places where that happens. In fact, it's uniquely different that it happens in this place. One of the things I've wrestled with a lot since I've gotten here is how we, how we do small group community here as a church. That has been a big burden on my heart this summer as we look at the fall and hopefully a post-pandemic world where we look at the fall and just see what God might want to do when people with each other in community are willing to go to the lower decks of our life and not just put a happy face on, but to actually go into the deep end of the pool. This is something drastically needed in our community. Because there's marriages that are hurting. And there's men and women dealing with deep issues of depression or inadequacy or woundedness, and they don't talk about it. See, God's desire is to go to the deep places with us. His desire is that we would have a deep, lower deck experience with him because, listen to this, your beliefs about God and your worldview and your perspective, they are not formed on the upper decks of your life. Your beliefs about God, your experiences of community and people, those are things that are formed in the lower decks of your life that nobody else sees. And so David, he goes on to describe this. He goes on to describe how God forms us. And this is so beautiful because what it shows us is that God is the God of the vulnerable. God is the God of the unseen. This is what it says in verse 13. He says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My face was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. Intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your, your eyes saw my unformed substance. This is literally the Hebrew word for embryo right here. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. You are fearfully and wonderfully formed. You are inspired and distinguishably complex as a person. There is more to you than the top decks of your life. There is more to you than what people see on the surface. When I first became a dad, I'll, I'll never forget, and my wife, this was just as much of a profound moment for her as well, when we first saw our first daughter's ultrasound. It was around 10 or 12 weeks, somewhere in there, and it was the very first time we saw that fluttering heartbeat. And as a dad, when I saw that, there was something intimately personal about that experience. There was an instant connection that happened, and if you've walked through pregnancy or uh, miscarriage or pregnancy loss, you know how deeply personal that stuff is. How deeply and intricately lower deck that stuff is. And what God does when he sees us is he says, you are my child, just like a father or a mother looking at, a, at an ultrasound picture of their child for the first time. God is that intimately personal with us. Amen. The God who created all of this, the God who created trees and sky and waters and expanse. He is the same God who is supernaturally personal with you. That's the hope of Psalm 139. 
that there are psalms about the God who creates everything. And Psalm 139 speaks to some of that. But this is, this is the God who is deeply personal. You don't have the capacity to know yourself like God does. For some of us, that's the most terrifying thought on the planet. <laughs> For some of us, that just terrifies us. The idea that somebody would know me, know everything about me, and what? And possibly reject me. I think that's a really real fear that a lot of us have. And usually we go lighter in the park. We're not going light today. We're going deep today. But that's a fear that a lot of us have because, because God is utterly holy, right? Moses acknowledged that to see God face to face would be lethal for sinners. David witnessed Uzzah try to stabilize the ark and he touched the ark of the covenant and the very presence of God and the holiness of God that housed God's presence killed Uzzah. Like we know God is utterly holy. And so for him to look into the deep, dark places of our hearts, for him to look in the lower decks of our lives, man, that is a terrifying thought. In Revelation 6, it says, if we truly see God face to face in our sin, we would ask the mountains themselves to fall on us. That is how holy God is. God is utterly above and beyond and holy and separate from us. And I think our single deepest fear is to be fully known and rejected, and disrespected, and devalued. Yet David closes this psalm in a different way, with an invitation to a God that would terrify even the most devout people of God. How does he end this psalm? He ends it by saying this in verses 23 and 24, search me, it's an invitation for God to search me, to know my heart, to try me and to know my thoughts. And to see if there is any grievous way in me and to lead me in the way everlasting. David's cry is, holy God, who is utterly above and apart and beyond everything that I am as a sinner, I invite you to search me and to know me and to test me. I, I invite you into the places that nobody else sees. I invite you to excavate and search and see some things that God, maybe you're not going to like all that much. And in that moment, we are inviting God to know us and to possibly reject us. And that's terrifying. We're inviting God to, to come into the places that nobody else sees. And this, is, this fear is warranted because God is utterly holy. He is utterly beyond and separate and holy. And so on one hand, you have this holy God who is perfect who is powerful, who is all-knowing, all-seeing. And then you have sinful people who have lower decks of their lives that nobody wants to see and nobody wants to talk about. And so how are these two things reconciled? How is a holy God and sinful people somehow reconciled with each other? How can we boldly go before the God of the universe and ask him to search us and to know us and to excavate the parts of our lives that nobody else sees? How can we possibly do this? through a person named Jesus Christ. That's the hope of the gospel. That on your own, you actually, you can't invite God to search you and know you. That apart from the grace and the mercy of God expressed through the person of Jesus Christ, that we can't be known by God. You see, he is the evidence of a God who plunges into the depths, not just the lower decks of your life, 
but into the icy waters of a sinking ship, David knew that with God, darkness is turned into light. Jesus knew exactly what it means to plunge directly into your darkness. Jesus knew exactly what it means to plunge into the unholy parts of our lives. David was knit together in his mother's womb and Jesus Christ was torn apart in a public spectacle on a cross. Why did Jesus enter into God-forsakenness on the cross? So that we wouldn't have to. Jesus is the life raft for a sinking ship. He is the only one that can save sinners. And because of Jesus, you and I can have full confidence to invite God to search us and to know us and to excavate us and to see if there's any part of our lives that needs healing, that needs repentance, that needs confession, that needs wholeness. Friends, this is the gospel. That when you are faced with the darkness of the lower decks of your life and the holiness of God, that he who knew no sin became sin on your behalf so that you could become the righteousness of God so that you could be known and accepted, so that you could be known and loved, so that you could be known and valued, so that you could be known and cherished. This is a church, I wanna be utterly clear, this is a church where it is okay and necessary to go to the lower decks of our lives with each other. It has to be, because that's where God moves. That's where God works. That's where God speaks. That's where God heals. I have uh, a couple good pastor friends of mine, and uh, we've met for quite a while. We meet via Zoom on Wednesday mornings, and uh, uh, their names are Matthew and Nate, some of my best friends in the world, and we have met consistently and, and been in each other's lives for years and years and years. And what I love about that time and that space is that in so many ways it feels separated from the rest of my week because it is a place where there is no time, there's no space for kind of the upper decks talk. It is all about the lower decks. It's all about what's going on under the surface. Do you have people in your life where you can go to that place with? Do you have people in your life where you can invite them into the unholy parts, into the broken parts, into the sinful parts, and you know they will walk with you? That's the hope. Pastor Tim Keller says it this way. He says, to be loved by not known is comforting but superficial. It's great to be loved but not known. And to be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, that, that's a lot like being loved by God. To be fully known and truly loved, fully loved, is what it means to be known by God. This is the posture in which salvation is received. This is the posture in which we are saved. It's the picture of God. And this is what baptism is. I want you to hear this. Baptism is the picture of a God who plunged into the darkness. I'm actually going to get in the tank right now because I want to show you how all in God is for us. That this is the picture of the God who plunged into the darkness on your behalf. When we, when we put people down into the water, what we are saying symbolically here is that we are dying to ourselves, that there is a God who plunged into the darkness of our sin and our shame and our death on our behalf. And then when we come up out of the water, it's because of Jesus Christ and only because of Jesus Christ that we are invited into a new life, a resurrection life with him. 
That's what baptism symbolizes. It's a way of saying, I am all in for the God who went all in for me. I am all in for him. And so here's, here's what I want to do to close. Uh, before we get into baptism, we have people that are signed up ahead of time. I want to invite you, where you're at, to simply come up, and Trent's just going to play behind us, to simply sit where you are, and we're going to go through a time of prayer together. I'm going to lead you through some prayer. And if you have kids running around, that's fine. We do too. Like, it's all good if you need to get up and chase them. But if you have the ability to close your eyes and just be in this moment with God, I want to invite you to invite him to go into the lower levels with you, the lower decks with you. Maybe you're here this morning and you weren't planning to get baptized and you're fully clothed. I hope you're fully clothed, but you're fully clothed. You're here, but you want to go all in for Jesus this morning. Don't let the fact that you're going to have wet clothes stop you from doing that. We have t-shirts, we have towels, we can help you with that. Even if you didn't sign up, the invitation is open for you to come forward after we're done praying to get baptized. Don't leave that invitation on the table. So if you are here this morning, I want to invite you to just close your eyes where you're at, and we're going to go through this prayer together. This is what we call a prayer of examine, where we're inviting God to search us and to know us. So first, in this very moment, whatever is going on in your life right now, whatever baggage you're carrying, whatever anger and bitterness you're navigating, I want you to start right now by centering yourself in the presence of God. That God is here with you. That God is for you. That right now in this moment, God sees you. That he is loving you. He is seeking you. He is delighting in you. So in this moment of prayer right now, choose to open your heart, your mind, your imagination to be aware of God's love for you. That he is described in scripture as a refuge, a safety, a stability, a strong tower. Take a few moments of silence right now and just center yourself in the presence of God here in this moment. The second movement of this prayer is I want you to think right now of what you're grateful for. What are you grateful for in this moment? Maybe it's joy. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's a good friend. Even as something as simple as a beautiful day. Maybe you're grateful for the way he made you the talents and the gifts and the passions that God gave you. What are you grateful for? Just take a few moments and express that to God right now. Next one here. As you look at your life, I want you to take some inventory of the lower decks of your life. 
Where are you heavy hearted right now? Where are you anxious? Where are you feeling shame? I want you to invite God to search you and to know you. Are there areas of your life where you're just mad right now? Where's that coming from? Bring those before the Father who can handle those. What's going on in the lower decks right now of your life? Let's take a few moments and respond to God in that. And then this last movement here, and this is the most important one. Lastly, I want you to picture Jesus himself. I want you to picture Jesus walking with people, walking with you. I want you to picture Jesus in Mark 5 where he sees this young girl who has recently passed away. And his words to her are, Talitha Kayum, arise my child. You see, Jesus went into death itself and defeated it. I want you to think of Jesus. Picture him bringing calm to the deepest and most troubled waters. He is described as the Prince of Peace. I want you to picture him on the cross. His love poured out for you. His life on full display for you. I want you to picture his body, just like in this baptism tank, buried in the grave. Buried in death. And then lastly, I want you to picture Jesus bursting forth out of that grave, just like raising people to new life through baptism, bursting out of that grave, inviting us to the very same resurrection that he experienced. And this morning, no matter what you're walking through, I want you to ground yourself in that reality. To root yourself in his presence, to invite that God to search you and know you. And so, God, this morning, we thank you that you are the God who's not just interested in the top decks of our life where things feel put together, but you are the God who plunges yourself into the depths, that you seek and you save and you pursue and you run after God, that you search and you know and you excavate and you provide us paths in the way everlasting. God, we are so grateful for that. God, our only, our only response to that is just utter gratitude to pour ourselves out for the God who poured himself out for you. And so, God, that's what we do this morning. That's what we celebrate in baptism, and that's what we celebrate as a community. And so, God, we love you. We lift your name high above every other name. It's in the powerful and matchless name of Jesus Christ alone that we pray. And everyone said, Amen.